Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 13. That's page 188 in the Black Bibles. Joshua chapter 13. And while you're turning there, imagine with me that you are an heir to a trillion dollar estate. I almost said billion, but it seems like billions get thrown around anymore, right? So uh, let's, let's go trillion. Imagine that you are an heir to a trillion dollar estate. And so you know that one day you will inherit it in full, but already you are receiving regular installments from this inheritance. And those regular installments serve as, uh, I mean, they're, they're huge blessings, right? And they serve as kind of like appetizers of the great riches that await you. So imagine if, if that was truly your situation. How would having that guaranteed future inheritance change your life now? How would having a guaranteed future inheritance far beyond anything you could imagine, how would that change your life now? Well, the title of the message today is Promised Inheritance, and we're we're in our study of, through the book of Joshua. We've come to chapter 13. And today we want to notice, um, really we're entering a new section, by the way, because chapters 1 through 12 of Joshua were about the, the conquest of the promised land, right? Showing how God uh, was moving Israel into the land of Canaan and, and driving out the, the Canaanites, giving them victory in all these different battles. Well, now chapters 13 through 21 deal with then the allotment of the, the land. And then uh, there's really only one other short section at the end of the book. Chapters 22 through 24 kind of clo- form the closing section of the book. So we're in this new section, 13 through 21, where the land of Canaan is being distributed as God's gracious inheritance to Israel. And so that's where we want to That's what we want to be thinking about today, inheritance. And so really I have kind of two parts to the message today. The first part is going to be uh, studying Israel's inheritance of the land, primarily. But then I want to, the second part of the sermon is going to be us considering our inheritance, the Christian's inheritance. Okay? So... We're, you might have noticed in the, in the bulletin, it's a large chunk today, <laughs> uh, chapters 13 through 19, so I, I hope you're comfortable. Um, but don't worry, we're not going to go through every word, but we're going we're to kind of uh, do an overview of it, I guess you'd say, but, uh, because it, it does give a lot of detail. And, and you may, when you re- come to chapters like this, you may be thinking like, wow, what, you know, why is... Why, why is there so much detail there? Why does God record all of that in his word? But understand that to the, to the nation of Israel, this was, like their, this was like their title deed, right? This was like someone reading it off the will, so to speak, right? And all the details that go along with it. This is how, for generations to come, this is what they would look to and say, well, this is why we live here. This is why our tribe, our clan, our family, this is why... Uh, the, the, the land that we possess is ours. And, and all of it was pointing to the faithfulness of God. 
how he keeps his promises. Again, that's why the message is called promised inheritance. Because them, them uh, entering into the land and now them, it being allotted to them and them starting to go and, and actually settle in the land, this, this is in fulfillment of promises that were given hundreds of years before to Abraham. And now it's, it's finally coming to fruition, right? They're, and, and they're getting to, there's still more work to be done, but they're, they're, they're entering into the, the phase of their life where they can actually start settling into the land and enjoying this inheritance. So before we dig into the text, I want to just talk about the tribes real fast. So if I could have the first PowerPoint slide uh, come up. I want to show you how, um, how we end up with 12 tribal allotments of, of land I don't know if you can see that there, but it's kind of like a quick family tree, and there's numbers by it, right? And so you have Abraham, to whom the promises were first given, then those promises are repeated to Isaac, and then to Jacob, and you know, he, he's renamed Israel, right? And then through a couple of wives and their servants, he has these um, 12 sons, and um, Joseph is number 11, right? And And what we're going to see when we get to the allotments of the land, that Joseph's two sons are actually each given um, land. And so Ephraim and Manasseh, they, like in other words, Joseph kind of becomes two, but then we're going to see that Levi there isn't given land, so you still end up with 12. It's kind of like you've, you've substituted Levi with the two sons of, of Joseph, and so you still end up with 12 segments of land. So let's look at chapter 13, and again, this begins this new section where we see the land starting to be allotted and distributed. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, in years and the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. <laughs> Don't you love the straightforwardness of God, right, you know? Um, <clears throat> maybe we should use a little more tact with each other, right, when we, <laughs> but uh, anyway, you're old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. And then he goes through that. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines, all those of the Gershites from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. And it's counted as a Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza and Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath and Ekron, and those of Avium in the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Mirha that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and to the land of the Gabalites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Mishbareth Mame, even all the Sidonians. So these are all the, the, the um, enemies of Israel that still are present, that still need to be driven out. And God once again reiterates his promise there in the second half of verse 6. I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Right? So I'm still going to be fighting for you, you guys, the Lord says. But he tells Joshua, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So in other words, what we have going on here is, yes, there's still more people that need to be conquered. But because Joshua is getting old and is not going to live much longer. And, and really there's no succession plan in place of like another leader, right? Like when Moses was, 
was dying. Obviously, God had raised up Joshua to take his place. We're not going to have the same thing here. And so he's saying, while you're still uh, the leader, and remember what the promises he'd given to Joshua, you're going to be exalted in the people's eyes. And we've seen that has been fulfilled as well. That, that the people really revere Joshua. They know that he is God's appointed leader. He carries a lot of authority. And so God is telling him, while you're still around, I want you to go ahead and divide out the land. And then they'll just have to continue on um, and drive out those who need to be driven out. But I'm going to be fighting for them. Right? So that's, that's where we're at. Um, so he, verses 2 and through 6 basically gave the dimensions of the land that still needed to be conquered and and again God reiterated that promise and so in light of that promise that God is going to drive them out this land it will be yours go ahead and allocate that land to the 12 tribes so again that this is a was a call to faith and action them continuing to act on the promises of God him saying I promised you this land And I'm going to be the one with you, fighting for you, but you must go forward in faith and obedience, right? We've seen that several times. So, um, like he said, this is for the the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why why is he saying this is only going to be for nine and a half tribes? Well, he reminds us in verse 8. That the other two and a half tribes already, their land's already been given to them. This, let's go ahead and, uh, well, when he gets back, we can look at the next slide. I've got a picture for you here in just a minute. But um, look at verse 8 with me. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites, uh, when they received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. We, we talked about that early in the book of Joshua, how when, they, when Moses was still around and when they were going through the wilderness, there were uh, two and a half tribes that, that said, hey, you know what, we like the land here east of the Jordan River. Oh, there we see it. Yeah, so you see there, uh, East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, they have their land east of the, of the River Jordan. And I think when I first was explaining that to you I, I I was mistaken in the way I described that Manasseh literally does divide up into two tribes so it's it is two and a half tribes it's half the tribe of Manasseh gets the land to the east of the Jordan the other half of, of Manasseh is going to get land to the west of the Jordan River there okay so again this what we come to here in 13 and the chapters that follow it's it's kind of a very legal-like transaction that's taking place. And so that's why he's going through all these details and formalities and, and repeating himself. You know, it's like he's saying, remember, these guys have their land to the east. And, and he's always wanting to stress the unity that exists between the 12 tribes, even though some are on the one side of the Jordan, some are on the other. They're all fighting as one. Remember, the men uh, from those two and a half tribes are, are over here fighting, helping drive out the Canaanites. So that's what he goes through there at the beginning um, in verses 8 through 33. He goes through the boundaries and, and description of the land east of the Jordan for those two and a half tribes. Okay? So we, we won't go into all those details. But I want to point out a, a few things along the way. Uh, look at verse 14 of, of chapter 13. 
I mentioned this earlier when we had the family tree chart up there. The Lord says, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. The same truth is repeated in verse 33. Look down at verse 33. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. So what we're going to see is not, not only east of the Jordan, but also west of the Jordan, there's no specific land that is allotted to the tribe of Levi. Why? Well, because from the tribe of Levi would come the priests and the others who would serve in the, in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And so what, he, what God has, has said through Moses and now is reiterating through Joshua is Levi's inheritance is... is is that privilege of serving. Levi's inheritance is God himself and the fact that he, he get, uh, the tribe of Levi gets this, they get to be on the, on the, in the front row of service to God. They get to be there when the sacrifices are being offered and, and the feasts and, and they're facilitating all this. That is their inheritance. Now, what you, when you, what you see in the Bible is there's certain cities within the other tribes that people from Levi can live in, so it's not like they're all homeless. But... The stress is that the, they don't, the land is not their inheritance. Um, God himself is their inheritance. Okay? But even as I say that, <laughs> the, the reality is that the tribe of Levi, yes, they were certainly blessed to be able to serve in that way, but they aren't the only ones who have the Lord as their inheritance. And what you see in the Old Testament is that all the Israelites who had genuine faith in the promises of God, who, all the Israelites who had the faith of Abraham, they were able to enjoy a relationship with God. And so in that same sense, they too have the Lord as their inheritance. And this, I mean, I could give you many examples of that, but I'll just give you one. Look at Psalm 16. We'll come back to Joshua, but just look at Psalm 16. I thought this, this passage was really appropriate in light of what we're talking about today, right? We're talking about all these boundary lines and, and, and landmarkers. And David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will use that same kind of language, but not talking about a, a land, but talking about the Lord as his inheritance. So look at Psalm 16. It's a psalm of David. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Look at verses 5 and 6 especially. The Lord is my chosen portion. That's that same kind of word or same idea as inheritance. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What we're going to see is that they're going to determine these landmark boundaries by, by lot. And David is saying, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not really focused on what, what my uh, land boundary is right now. I just know that I have you as my inheritance, and I am blessed. 
I am blessed, though the lot has indeed fallen for me, and, or the lines have fallen for me in beautiful places, that I get to enjoy a, a relationship with the living God, the creator of all the earth. He's saying, what a blessing that is. And again, that blessing was open to all Israelites who had faith. Sadly, many didn't have faith. Okay, so one more thing then to point out from chapter 13. We'll go back to chapter 13 here of, of, of Joshua. What we're going to see is, and you're going to kind of see these little nuggets, these kind of little ominous uh, notes, ominous warnings that you're gonna, are going to pop up several times in these chapters. And look at verse 13 of chapter 13. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maccathites, but Geshur and Maccath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So we're going to see these little notes of, of Israel's failure to fully drive out the Canaanites as they're supposed to. The Lord's promise to drive them out, the Lord promised he would drive them out, but that was conditional upon them obeying, upon them doing what they're supposed to do, right? Going forth in, in faith and in obedience. And like I said, unfortunately, we're going to see this failure repeated by many of the tribes. And Joshua, the book of Joshua won't really get into this, but you see that reap bad consequences in the next book of the Bible, in Judges. Because just like the Lord had warned, um, those Canaanites that remain, the, their, their idolatrous and wicked behavior becomes a stumbling block to the, to the Israelites, right? And leads... leads them astray okay so chapter 13 talked about the eastern inheritance just reminding them reiterating that those two and a half tribes that they have land east of the Jordan now chapter 14 then shifts to the western inheritance and so there's nine and a half tribes left (laughs) that need some land right And we're going to start working through those look at chapter 14 of Joshua Verse 1, these are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. You see how official this is? You've got the main leader, Joshua. You've got the, main, the, the priest, Eleazar. You've got all the heads of the tribes. They're all involved in this, right? This is official. Verse 2, their inheritance was by lot, right? Just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Again, he's explaining all this, right? So that no one's going to have questions in, in the time to come. Hey, how come, you know, Joseph's sons got two different spots of land, right? Well, that's, that's the way God was working. Um, No portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. So again, they're not going to be homeless. They have places to be. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. So uh, they're going to do this by lot, right? Um, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So this is not some random game, right? This is not them gambling for, for land here, right? I mean, this is the way God was guiding this process. This is the way he, he uh, spoke to them in a way. This is the way he made his will known at that time. Um, 
And, and you see that different times in Scripture, don't you? That this was an ordained means of God uh, carrying this out. It, it's worth noting, you, you don't see the casting of lots any beyond Acts 2, right? Once the Holy Spirit comes, you don't see that. And then certainly us today who have the completed canon of, of, of Scripture, of God's holy inspired word, authoritative word, this is what we go to for, our, our, for truth and for decision making, right? This is how God reveals his truth to us. But back then, God worked through this casting of lots. So, beginning in verse 6, we have the actual distribution. Verse 6 tells us the first allocation of the western tribes went to Judah, which doesn't surprise us, even though Judah is not technically the firstborn, but back in Genesis 49, if you're wanting to study this more, Genesis 49 would be a good parallel chapter to study. That's when Jacob, or Israel, is dying and he's blessing his sons. And again, God's working through these blessings to carry out his will. And the first, the first few brothers had, had committed gross sins. And so you see way, way back there in Genesis that the, there's a special favor and blessing that comes on Judah. In many ways, Judah kind of gets elevated to the firstborn status. And so it's not surprising that they would be the first ones to get land allotted to them here west of the Jordan. Okay, as the Old Testament unfolds, you're going to see Judah's supremacy in other ways. The capital, Jerusalem, is, is in Judah. It's right up there, it's not even, uh, but it's right up there close to Benjamin, but it's in Judah. All right, and then of course, what we probably all think of is the Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah, right? So, as we're going through chapter 14, then... With the allocation of Judah comes this specific account of Caleb, who is from the tribe of Judah. And, of course, Caleb's significant because him and Joshua are the only two really old guys, right? Because they're the only two left from that first generation of Israelites. They were the two, two of the, the only two spies who Moses had sent into the land initially, right? Who came back believing that God would keep his promise. And so God kept them alive. I'm going to skip Caleb's account for today. And Lord willing, uh, I want us to come back and, and that'll be the sermon next week. Okay? So, I just wanted to kind of focus on the, the allocation of the land today. Alright, so chapter 15 gives the specific boundaries for the tribe of Judah. Another piece of Caleb's story. Um, and then again, we see the, the favor, the order kind of from Jacob's blessing from Genesis 49 being carried out in the fact that the two sons of Joseph are next in the allocation. Ephraim and Manasseh, they're the ones who are given um, the land next. Um, so now we're in chapter 15, okay? If you're kind of tracking with me. Chapter 15. And I want to point out verse 63. We have another one of these warnings. It says, but the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. Right? So this is still in the section talking about Judah. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Then in chapter 16, we get into Joseph's sons. And while I'm on this kind of negative theme here, look at verse 10. However, speaking of Ephraim, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. You see a similar thing in chapter 17 when talking about Manasseh and their allotment. Look at verse 12 of chapter 17. 
Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So again, we just keep seeing these signs of compromise, this unwillingness to fully obey the Lord by completely driving out the Canaanites. And and like I said, that's going to come back to, to bite them later. Okay? So... Again, even although Manasseh and Ephraim are considered two tribes, they draw only one lot, which leads to a complaint given in in verse 14. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, um, I'm in in chapter 17, 17, 14. Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance? So it's like the two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, are coming up and saying, Hey, how come we only get one lot? Although I am a numerous people, verse 14 says, since all along the Lord has blessed me. So some complaining going on here, right? Look at Joshua's reply in verse 15. If you are a numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. People of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain have chariots of iron, both those in Beth Shean and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country shall be yours. For though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its furthest borders. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong. So Joshua uh, wisdom and authority handles this complaint of, of, of uh, Joseph and says, hey, you guys are numerous. You can drive out the Canaanites. You can clear out the woods. You've got enough land. You can do this. You're going to just have to exert effort to make it your own. Okay? So now let's move into chapter 18. And, and before further allotments are given to the remaining tribes... Joshua is going to now move his base of operations in verse 1. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The land laid subdued before them. So Gilgal is not on this map, but Gilgal was not far west of the Jordan River. And that's where they'd always had their headquarters, right? But now they've moved it to Shiloh. And so that's, that's going to be significant uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, Joshua gathers the whole congregation there at Shiloh and he establishes the shrine of God's manifest presence there on a more permanent basis. In other words, this is where the tabernacle and the ark of the Lord is going to be set up um, and, and stay for a while. Matter of fact, you fast forward and when we get to the book of 1 Samuel... You see that the ark, the tabernacle, it's still in Shiloh, right? And, and that's where the ark's going to stay until it's actually stolen by the Philistines there in those early chapters of Samuel when Eli the priest is, is, uh, dies. But in chapter 18, this marks a significant moment here. It's showing that the people of God are established in the land and the presence of God is located in their midst, Right? It's, it's kind of like, and, and again, there's still more work to be done. There's still more to be driven out. But now we're not in this kind of temporary military base operations. Now we're, things are getting more settled. Okay? So that was 
all of that uh, happened in verse 1. Then Joshua turns his attention to the allotment of the remaining seven tribes. And again, we see God working through Joshua. We see why God wanted Joshua to do this before he died. Because, you know, this is a big deal, right? And needs leadership. Look at verse 2 of chapter 18. There remained among the people of Israel seven tribes whose inheritance had not yet been apportioned. So Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? So already Joshua was seeing this compromise, this kind of laziness in them, right? And he rebukes the people for becoming slack and taking possession of the land. And so he's using this occasion to stir up their obedience, to stir up their perseverance, right? To renew their efforts. Because up to this point, most of the allotments have been in land that's already been conquered, right? Um, obviously the east of the Jordan, but even the, the first few allotments in the, to the west of the Jordan, that's land that was already conquered in the early chapters of Joshua. But now as we get further and further west, more of that land, um, more percentage of that land has Canaanites dwelling in it. And so he's, he's, he's kind of partially rebuking, partially kind of trying to motivate them. Hey guys, let's, let's stay at it, right? Stay at this. Uh, more work is needed to be done. But then, uh, about the logistics of the allocation, look at verse 4. Provide three men from each tribe, and I will send them out that they may set out and go up and down the land. They shall write a description of it with a view to their inheritance, and then come to me. They shall divide it into seven portions. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory in the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. And Gad and Reuben and half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan eastward, which Moses' servant and the Lord gave them. So, to ensure fair distribution of the land, when the lots are cast, Joshua sends out 21 men, three men from each of the remaining tribes that haven't been given their portion yet, right? And they're not spies, they're more like surveyors, they're land surveyors, they're surveying the, the land that remains and bringing a report back to Joshua, okay? So these are like Lewis and Clarks going out, you know, into this land, Verse 8, so the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went uh, to write the description of the land, saying, go up and down in the land and write a description and return to me, and I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up and down in the land, wrote in a book a description of it by towns and seven divisions, and they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh. Verse 10, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel to each his portion. So again, literally, like Lewis and Clark, they go out, survey, make, do their measurements, do their descriptions, whatever, report back to Joshua. Joshua takes that information. Now he's ready to cast lots for the remaining land. And that's, um, the lots are cast, chapters 18 and 19, then record the allocation for those remaining uh, seven tribes there. Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Naphtali, Dan. Right? Okay. So all that to say, let's look at toward the end of chapter 19 then. Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. They've already been given their land, but chapter, uh, there's a few verses here that highlight that a special inheritance that Joshua himself receives. Look at verse 49 of chapter 19. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances... 
the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath Saria in the hill country of Ephraim, and he rebuilt the city and settled in it. So Joshua, being from the tribe of Ephraim, he asked for a city in that territory. It's not like he's going somewhere else, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's with his people, or he wants to be with his people there in Ephraim. He wants to settle back down with them, but he asked for a specific city, and the Lord kindly gives his faithful servant this city. I mean, I just think it's kind of a touching uh, conclusion to this whole deal, you know. Uh, here's this, been this man who, you know, has not been perfect, but has faithfully served the Lord all these years, and, and the Lord, re, you know, rewards him with, with a city um, that he's going to need to rebuild, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, but, but uh, again, that's a blessing. And Joshua, or excuse me, Judges 2.9 tells us that this is the city that Joshua's going to rebuild. That is going to be where Joshua dies and is buried. Okay? Then we get a summary statement at the end of chapter 19, verse 51. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. Ah, so you get kind of a completion here, right? And, that, and that's why I maybe, um, maybe you're regretting my decision, but that's why I want to tackle 13 through 19 altogether, right? Because it really is a section. Of them distributing the land. Now, by God's grace, the task is completed. All the details have been laid out. All those details are, are being recorded. They're standing as a witness to, to not only the logistics, um, so people will know where they're supposed to be, but think about it. All that, those title deeds, those stand as a witness to the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God to keep his promises to his people. That he gave them the land and, and, you know, and that, again, the, the land wasn't empty, right? Him giving them that land meant he gave them victories over mighty armies and, and with superior weaponry and all the miracles that he, he performed, right? So it's a testimony to them that God is faithful to his promises. And we're going to see that reiterated later in the book of Joshua as well. But a good reminder for us that God will do what he says he will do. He is, he is good, he's, he's powerful, and he's faithful. All right, so then let me just quickly then, and, and um, we'll, we'll try to go through this quickly. That was Israel's inheritance, and so I felt like we needed to talk about, and, and what a joy to talk about, the Christian's inheritance. As New Testament believers, our Joshua, remember, who's our Joshua? The Lord Jesus Christ. He has saved us, and he leads us into our promised inheritance. And what is that inheritance? What is the believer's inheritance? Well, ultimately, it's God, right? It's eternal life with God forever in glory. And there's more we can say about that, but let's start there, right? Turn to Romans chapter 8. So many passages we could look at. We, um, I tried to keep it to just, just a few. But Romans chapter 8, which as many of you know is, is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. But look at Romans 8 verse 11. That's page 944 if you're using the Black Bibles. 
Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now we're getting into inheritance type language here. Right? Not just children of God, sons of God, because sons back then were the ones who received the inheritance, right? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. There it is, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So again, just in, in summary fashion, we would say our inheritance is God himself. We get to be reconciled and with the, the, the living God. The eternal living God. We're going to have eternal life forever in God's presence, in glory. And then the New Testament just fills that out and it just gets... Uh, greater and greater the more details we learn that this eternal life is going to be in the new heavens and the new earth revelation 21 says that it is going to be again in the very presence of god it's going to be in a perfect resurrected body first corinthians 15 tells us one that's holy and blameless ephesians 5 says with jesus in glory colossians 3 4 says so we're going to be with in the in the glorious presence of god with the Son of God, the God-man, the glorified God-man. And we're going to get to enjoy his eternal kingdom forever. In perfect bodies, perfect souls, no more sin, no more pain. With all of the saints in, in, in glory. That's our inheritance. As the faithful son, right, we saw we're co-heirs with Christ. Christ is the one who has earned the inheritance. He's the one who was obedient. He's the one who's the faithful son who deserves the inheritance, who deserves to inherit the earth. But he graciously shares that with us who are united with him by faith. Having been born again, then we are now God's children with an inheritance. Christ has made us fellow heirs with him. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? It's like, Jesus, you're the one who deserves this. You're the one who deserves to rule over the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, man, I mean, it'd be gracious of you to just let us be doorkeepers, right? You know, but you're going to let us reign with you. Our inheritance is eternal life with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth and perfect glorified bodies with no sin, dwelling with the glorious presence, in the glorious presence of God. And as we think about inheritance, we heard from our scripture reading today that our inheritance is certain. And we have to always remember that and be encouraged by that, that our inheritance is certain. Because when we think of inheritance, we think of what? You know, uh, earthly inheritance, right? You know, a, a, an estate, a will that we would inherit from our parents or grandparents or whatever. And those things can be uncertain, right? I mean, those, those you know, can be destroyed. Those can lose their value. Um, a nest egg can be depleted, right, to where 
an earthly inheritance can be lost. But we heard in our scripture reading today that our inheritance is secure. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See how certain that is? It's imperishable. It's not going to lose its value. It's not going to be stolen. It's not going to be taken away. It's being kept in heaven for you. It's safe and secure. And we know that we will receive our inheritance because we've already been given the down payment, loved ones. And that's why I started my illustration the way I did. We have this amazing inheritance in the future, but we're already receiving down payments of that now. How? If our inheritance is God, then how have we already received the down payment of that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right? Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. I think this is the last passage I'll ask you to turn to. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, page 976. Let's rejoice in our inheritance as we bring this to a close here. Verse 11 says, in him we've obtained an inheritance, just like all the blessings it's, it, it, in, that, in that doxology, it's saying this is in, in Christ, it's through our union with Christ, um, through faith, that we have these, that we possess this inheritance. Look at verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If our inheritance is resurrected, uh, eternal life in the presence of God, we've already been given the down payment of that because God himself dwells in us by his spirit and he's already started this resurrection life in us, not physically, but spiritually because he's made us new creations. So that, new, that resurrection life has already begun. And, we, and the Bible is so clear that we know that because we have that down payment, one day we will be raised from the dead, right? And we will be with him forever. So I just want to encourage you how glorious your inheritance is. It's certain, so certain that you've you've already been given um, the down payment, which guarantees full payment to come. And that's why we talk about our salvation is already, but not yet. We're already getting to enjoy uh, aspects of it, but it's not yet fully completed. So I, I just want to close with three takeaways. And I called it, Living in light of our inheritance. I know we had to consider our inheritance quickly, but I, I hope it was a good reminder for you. And, and in light of our inheritance, in light, that, in light of the fact that we are heirs of God, how should we then live now, even as we await our, our future and full inheritance? Well, number one, enjoy God. Enjoy God. Thinking about our certain future of dwelling with God forever should cause us to seek him even more now. Right? Again, we, we already get to experience this. We already get, we're already reconciled to God. We already get fellowship with God. And so how awkward, how inappropriate it's going to be if the Lord Jesus comes back and, and our salvation's completed and now we get to be with God and, it's, and he's kind of like, 
well, man, you didn't seem to really enjoy spending time with me when you were on earth, <laughs> right? And I, again, I know we have divided hearts and it's like, ugh, right? We battle sin and all around us. But by God's grace, let us enjoy God. Let us draw near to God. Let us enjoy the first fruits that we've already been given of our, of our inheritance. And the more, and many of you can testify to this, right? The more we taste of the Lord and know that he's good, the more we want more. The more we want more, <laughs> right? But some of us don't ever, haven't even really begun to do that. And so we haven't even cultivated the, the appetite for, for God yet. We're too busy filling ourselves up with the, the cotton candy of this world that no, doesn't satisfy. Second takeaway, focus on Christ's kingdom. As I thought about what our future inheritance is, eternal life in the, in the new heavens and new earth, in the eternal kingdom of God, how does, how does the Bible t- tell us to be living now in light of that? I'll just share some verses with you. They speak for themselves. Ephesians 6, 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see the common theme there? This world is passing away. Why, why pour our energy and efforts into that? Why put our heart and affections there? Let's, let's put them in what's eternal. God and his kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's instructive that at the end of that great chapter of talking about our resurrection body, talking about our inheritance of 1 Corinthians 15, how does the chapter end? It says in, in verse 58, um, that let us then abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. So the certainty of our inheritance, the glorious nature of our inheritance should motivate us now to focus on Christ's kingdom. Let's be good citizens here by all means and bring glory to God that way. But may we never forget our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Philippians 3.20 Then lastly, loved ones, live with hope. Living in light of our inheritance should cause us to live with hope. Isn't it instructive that our inheritance is called a a hope, a living hope? Why? Well, because it should give us hope. (laughs) It should change us. It should give us hope because we know that our our, our confidence is not in this world. Our confidence is not in, in, in this country or in the, in the government or in, in entertainment or whatever. Our hope is in Christ, the eternal one and his kingdom. And so let us live with hope because our salvation is guaranteed, because our, our future is certain. 
We have this confident expectation that God will keep his promises that he has made to us. That one day we will be with him forever. That one day uh, the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdom of God. In other words, God is going to eradicate all evil and it's only going to be the kingdom of God that remains. When Christ returns. We know that he will be faithful to keep his promise. So be encouraged. Live with hope. No matter what trials you're going through, no matter how the political and economic climate looks, live with hope because you will be with God forever. You will be raised from the dead in a perfect body. You will live forever with the saints in a place of no more pain, no more sin, no more evil, and no more death. You will see with your own eyes our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our certain future. Praise God. And so let us live as people of hope. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for your grace, for your generosity. Lord, again, for the work of Christ to... to, um, secure this inheritance for us, to share it with us, that, that you would bless us this way, that though we were the ones who had rebelled against you and, and we were the ones who caused the separation from you, that you came and sought us and reconciled us back to, to you and that you desire for us to be with you forever. What love and what grace you have. I pray for any here today, Lord, who don't know you, that who are still uh, separated from you. I pray that you will uh, draw them to yourself now, that they would, you'll give them the new birth, that they'll repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, that they too can be reconciled with you, that they too can enjoy the, the down payment of, the, of, of knowing you already. And for the rest of us, Lord, your, your children, your believers, your blood-bought uh, children, help us to live with hope. Help us to, to live in light of who we are, in light of our inheritance. Help us be in this world, but not of it. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll, we will uh, sing another song of praise.